This is episode 243 of That Shakespeare Life. That Shakespeare Life is supported in part by listeners just like you who join our listener community on Patreon. You can join us as a patron right now at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare Life. And stay tuned after the episode for even more details. They are being both dried first. First on fire and then in the sun. And this drying period is generally a month long. And only in this semi-processed form do they then arrive in Europe. And on the table, the nutmeg had to be ground with the help of a grinder and then served in a specific spice vessel known as a nef, which came in the form of a ship. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. Shakespeare mentions the spice nutmeg in his plays three different times. Once in Henry V to comment on the color of nutmeg. Once in Love's Labor's Lost to talk about a gift nutmeg, which was a gift given at Christmas for the 16th century. And then again in The Winter's Tale, when the clown lists nutmeg as one of the spices he needs to make warden pies, along with mace, dates, prunes, and raisins. Nutmeg not being native to England, it was not only a valuable spice that made a great gift popular for major celebrations like Christmas and New Year's Day, but it was a huge part of international relations for England because during the 1600s was when the Dutch were committing all manner of atrocities against England and indeed the world to maintain a monopoly on this particular spice. Here today to share with us the history of nutmeg and some popular recipes that it was used for in both food and medicine from Shakespeare's lifetime is our friend, culinary historian, and returning guest to the show, Brigitte Webster. Brigitte Webster is a culinary historian and author of A Banquet at the Old Hall, An Invitation to Participate in Historic Cooking. She is also the author of the forthcoming book, Eating with the Tudors, due out in June of next year. Brigitte and her husband, Tom, are owners at Tudor and 17th Century Experience, a unique living history center with authentic accommodations that let visitors step back in history to experience life in England's 17th century. They offer designated open days, taster days, weekends, and custom-made holidays. Brigitte's unique home lets guests travel back in time to fall in love with the 17th century English history. You can find links to Tudor and 17th century experience, along with more about Brigitte's books and her work in Tudor culinary history, all packed into the show notes for today's episode. Hello, Brigitte. So nice to have you back on the show again today. Hello. Well, it's absolutely wonderful to be back yet again. (laughs) With the Dutch demanding a monopoly on nutmeg, how were the English able to import it during Shakespeare's lifetime? Were there special treaties going on or how did they manage this? Well, the first time nutmeg was mentioned in European sources was actually as early as um, 1078 or thereabouts. But not much was known about where it came from until the 16th century. 
And this mystery added to the spice is luxurious, exotic, and expensive appeal. And in early modern times, all the nutmeg came from one place only, the Banda Islands, which are a part of the Moluccas in what is now modern Indonesia. And the Banda Islands are so small that they are only found on specialized maps. And the main island, Banda Nira, is about three kilometers long and 1.3 kilometers at its widest point. So you can see how small these are. And there is another uh, island attached called Run or Run. Uh, which is quite this significant later in history because it was exchanged for Manhattan in July 1667. No way. And yeah, yeah. It, 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 this is, I'm telling you, the story of nutmeg is possibly the most exciting one altogether of all the spices. But the inhabitants of these islands traded with the Chinese, the Arabs, and the Malays, who then traded with Venetian merchants who distributed this highly thought-after spice amongst the spice merchants in Western Europe. And then the Spanish and the Portuguese became all jealous of the Venetians and started to venture out to find that legendary spice island themselves. And as the Turks advanced westwards in 1529, the old trade route fell into disuse and which therefore motivated to discover new, more direct routes. And it's in the 16th century that the Portuguese historian, the Barros, was the first to describe the Banda Islands in his famous work, El del Asia. And in the 16th century, the islands were ruled first by four kings and then by an assembly of the rich, old, and influential gentlemen on that island called the Orang or Orange Kea. And the Bandanese traded their nutmeg for food, textiles, and other essentials. And in 1512, the Portuguese, and then a bit later the Spanish, explored the Spice Islands before the English and the Dutch. The Spanish and the Portuguese were very happy to just trade, although the trade was dominated by the Portuguese. They only visited occasionally, but were able to sell nutmeg back home for a profit of 1,000%. I mean, this is this is quite the thing. That's isn't it? unheard of yeah. amounts. Yes, yeah. it, it makes you understand why they were so keen on that nutmeg. And from 1553, 
the English started to show an interest in getting involved with the spice trade for good reasons, as we can see. But their attempts failed until Francis Drake started his voyage on the 13th of December, 1577, taking the same route as Magellan did, but uh, he never got as far as the Banda Islands. And at the same time, the Dutch were a lot more organized in planning their stake of controlling this lucrative trade. And unlike the Spanish and the Portuguese and the English, whose interest was purely in trade, the Dutch had other plans. Their goal was to control the spice trade with a monopoly on it. And so they formed the Dutch East Indies Company, which was formed uh, on the 20th of March, 1602, for that purpose. And the Dutch Vice Admiral Jacob von Hemskirk arrived on Banda Nera on the 15th of March, 1599. And by 1603, they had achieved their target using sheer brutality and force towards the inhabitants. Sadly, the English landed on the smallest of the Banda Islands, the later famous island of Run or Rune, where they were welcomed and a treaty was agreed with this Orangkea, which transferred all the rights over the islands to the English. And it's that particular treaty that we are going to hear a lot about because that caused a lot of trouble later. However, on the 23rd of May, 1602, the Dutch managed to extort a treaty from some of the Orangkea to give them a trade monopoly on nutmeg on this island. And it was this treaty obtained by sheer force that gave the Dutch the mistaken belief that they were entitled to throw off the English from Rome. And in 1609, the Dutch landed on the Banda Islands with heavily armed forces and started to build a fort, which was later then known as Fort Nassau. However, the Dutch who mistreated and enslaved the inhabitants were let into a trap by the Orangkea and the Dutch admiral and about 30 of his companions were beheaded. And the ruthless behaviour by the Dutch colonial power on Banda did not only result in a major massacre on the Bandanese later, but also made the survival of the English, and there weren't many on Rung, extremely difficult. 
um, the provision of plain drinking water was a constant problem. And they were on the verge of starvation due to that blockade, blockade by the Dutch. And only in 1620, the leader of the English troops on the run for over uh, 1,540 days, a so-called Nathaniel Courthope, died under mysterious circumstances. And the Dutch were finally able to occupy the last of those spice islands. And by doing so, getting their hands on the nutmeg they so greedily pursued. Their rule was to enforce violence, suppression, humiliation and exploitation. And on the 8th of May 1621, they started the first genocide in modern history as they systematically killed all male inhabitants under the age of 15 and sold the women and men as slaves. Estimates suggest that 90% were slaughtered. Once all the Bandanese were removed, the Dutch started to repopulate the islands with Dutch citizens, the so-called Pekingese, and by 1636, the island was almost inhabited with all bigger nutmeg trees cut down. And in the Treaty of Breda of 1667, the small island of Run was then exchanged for Manhattan. And the nutmeg had been exchanged for basically the Big Apple. So where would someone living in the 16th century have purchased nutmeg after it makes this enormous journey, which I'm, I'm assuming the English were able to get nutmeg off of the Banda Islands to, to England as long as they held control of the island of, of Run. But once it got there, how did the average citizen get a hold of it? Was it available for sale in shops or was it only a luxury item for the very, very elite? Well, in early modern England, food and medicine, spices and drugs were all closely related. But generally, a spice merchant, or sometimes referred to as a spicer, sold medicines and spices, while the apothecary often provided spiced sweets and material for cooking. But in truth, the difference was never very clear and at times even non-existent. However, because nutmeg and other spices were luxury goods, they were only sold in wealthy areas such as London and other big cities. And in London, it was in particular Soppers Lane that was the, the location for most spice-selling merchants. 
So what about processing nutmeg? I mean, today I use a spice grinder or even a zester to scrape off some of the outside of a whole nutmeg to cook with. But would there have been any spice grinders or graters available in the 1600s that are used for this purpose? That's interesting. Well, the nutmeg and mace, the mace being a woven scarlet fruit fiber under the outer husk of its seed, which is the nutmeg, they are being both dried first, first on fire and then in the sun. And this drying period is generally a month long. And only in this semi-processed form do they then arrive in Europe. And on the table, the nutmeg had to be ground with the help of a grinder and then served in a specific spice vessel known as a nef, which came in the form of a ship. Now, nutmeg grinders only came into fashion in the early 1680s, when an anonymous person in London had had a silver one made for himself for personal use. And the people who could afford the nutmeg wished to grade it themselves to avoid alteration. And the first designs were silver cylinders with a separate grater, but silver ones would blend over time. And from 1697, when the higher Britannia great silver was required, the steel form became more common. And the earliest steel examples were mostly teardrop-shaped and sometimes decorated with scratch engraving on a fixed grater. So what were some of the popular recipes using nutmeg from the 16th century? How would they, once they, and I'm assuming when you say a grinder for Shakespeare's lifetime, was that most likely a mortar and pestle? Yes, uh, or just being chopped up first and then obviously in a mortar and a pestle. Yeah, but nutmeg appears in many recipes. It's actually astounding just how many. Because in the 16th century, uh, everybody was uh, familiar with spiced wine by the name of Hippocras. And Hippocras was very common and very popular. But nutmeg was also the main ingredient of cameline sauce pie recipes, pancake recipes, tarts, and also a lot of meat-based dishes. Now, I know that I strongly associate nutmeg with Christmas for all of the cookies and cakes that we make with it during the season. But was nutmeg specifically a Christmas spice for Shakespeare's lifetime? I, I ask because there's one play where Shakespeare talks about it as an ingredient for warden pies, which I associated with, you know, holiday cooking for his lifetime. But how, how much did those two things go together, nutmeg and Christmas? Well, it wasn't necessarily only used at Christmas time, but there is certainly evidence that nutmeg was given as a present, especially on New Year's Day. 
And as far as I remember, Queen Elizabeth was the lucky recipient of several such gifts on New Year Day. But uh, spices such as nutmeg were also used daily as a neutralizing agent for food that was considered cold and wet. And in the early modern uh, England, uh, English time, to stay healthy meant that you had uh, your body humus balanced. So basically uh, a balanced diet, as we might see it. Now, were there non-culinary uses for nutmeg? You mentioned earlier that an apothecary might have had some. Was it used as a medicine? Yes, definitely. The famous Tudor physician Andrew Board recommended in 1542 in his book, A Dietary of Health, that nutmeg was good against head colds, and he claims that this spice comforts the eyes and the brain and the stomach and the mouth. And Sir Thomas Eliot, a physician in Elizabethan times, so a little bit later after board, he still claims that they comfort the power of sight and the brain. He also mentions that the nutmeg is hot and dry in second degree, which obviously makes it the perfect complement for cold and wet food, according to the Tudor's belief in humus and how to stay healthy. And the Tudors also believed that nutmeg uh, would be effective against uh, gastric distress and flatulence, uh, especially when cooked with wine. And it was also further praised as an aphrodisiac, which explains why spiced wines such as Hippocrates was a popular drink offered to the bride and the groom on their wedding night. And it all comes back together and we see why these things work. Exactly. I read there was a person who was actually poisoned by nutmeg in 1576. And the record that I came across says that one woman ate 10 nutmegs and became inebriated. Can you become intoxicated or delirious from consuming too much nutmeg? Yes, you certainly can. And that is something like too much of a good thing. But under normal circumstances, it's highly unlikely, as you need to consume more than five gram in one sitting. And that would roughly be the sort of quantity of 10 nutmegs. A little nutmeg does lift the spirits, But too much will result in hallucinations, dizziness, loss of sight and speech, wasting heartbeat, and can induce abortion and also finally death. Yeah, so definitely you can eat too much. So it's in the same same vein there as as caffeine, I think, where it's like a little bit is fine, but but be careful with it. But but it is difficult to overdose yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I 
know that we would love to explore the history of nutmeg and the recipes and places that it that it appears. And uh, Brigida has written at least one, and I think is in the middle of completing another book on uh, Tudor recipes, which we'll link to in the show notes today, so you can see those. Which I'm sure nutmeg makes an appearance at some point across there. But Brigida, where should we begin if we want to explore the history that we've been talking about today? Right. Actually, surprisingly, quite a lot of books out there that deal with spices and even in particular with nutmeg. But I've chosen three books that I felt give a good overall look into the history of the most important spices and in particular uh, nutmeg. Now, I can recommend the first book is called Spice the History of a Temptation by Jack Turner. The second one is Out of the East Spices and the Medieval Imagination by Paul Friedman. But my favorite one, which I read very recently, and it just had me really hooked, I couldn't put the book down, was The Gold of the the Banders, The History of the Nutmeg by Horst H. Gerken. And I believe the author is half German and half Dutch. And he traveled to the Banda Islands, lived there for quite some time and got really interested in the whole story and produced this amazing book. Those are fantastic resources and perfect uh, places to begin if we want to uh, explore the history of nutmeg further. We'll place links to these in the show notes so you can know exactly where to find them. Now, Brigida, as you know, you have chosen quite a library for yourself of desert island books um, in visiting with us here on That Shakespeare Life. But you do get to once more choose a book for your deserted island. You can, as with last time, you will have the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be in addition to those. Well, there are just too many to choose from, as always. But currently, it would be a book called The Proverbs in the 16th and 17th century England by Maurice Palmer Tilly. It's the sort of book that you just don't read from cover to cover, but you've got it sitting by your bedside and you just go through it a few pages or you look up a particular word and you will be amazed how many standard everyday words appear in one form or another in a proverb of the 16th or 17th century. That's a fantastic selection for your desert island, as I knew you would choose, of course. Uh, so what's next for you, Brigida? What are you working on now that you're excited about? Ah, I am very busy. <laughs> as you know, since December 2019, we have been restoring and preserving our new home, a small Tudor manor here in Norfolk. But I am also slowly creating or recreating the Tudor Gardens, which is as much hard work as it is rewarding. But I am most excited about my new book coming out next spring called Eating with the Tudors. 
And I am also currently working on another publication due to come out in 2024, which is all about how to create your own Tudor garden in your backyard. Those are fantastic. If you have not seen pictures of Brigida's Tudor garden that she um, has built and the one that she's currently working on, we'll place links to her uh, social media feeds where you can find these and look at them. They're truly amazing. So I can't wait to see that book come out. I know you are, in my opinion, the reigning expert on how to do that because it's it's truly fascinating. We'll place links to this and where you can find out more about eating with the Tudors in the show notes for today's episode. So make sure you go those for all the good stuff. Brigida, Webster, thank you so much for being back here again and for being such a good friend of the show and joining us once more to talk about the history of nutmeg. This was a really exciting conversation. Thank you very much. And I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you very much. Bye. If you like the show today, be sure to let us know about it. Drop us a comment and a rating on the platform you're listening from today. If you would like to see pictures of early modern nutmeg and some of the recipes that use this spice, along with more visual content that coordinates with the history you're learning about today, then you want to check out the show notes. You can find all of the history, including links to Brigida's books and the Tudor and 17th century experience at CassidyCash.com slash episode 243. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP243. If you love our show and you like learning about Shakespeare's history here with us each week, then consider joining our listener community on Patreon. You can support the show and access bonus content, including video versions of the podcast, animated versions of Shakespeare's plays, exclusive documentary films, and more. Plus, there's special membership options like digital downloads and a monthly Shakespeare book club available at the higher patron tiers. Explore all the benefits of being a patron here at That Shakespeare Life and sign up today at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That Shakespeare life is researched and produced by Cassidy Cash. Our audio engineer is Gary Mayholm. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.